Good morning. We are here today at the end of a Lenten journey in which, in the Decalogue, every morning we have prayed to incline our hearts to keep the laws of God's guidance. And today, especially as we prepare to enter Holy Week, we're asked to look at our all-too-human motivations, limitations, and mortality, and to acknowledge as well our fears that life just might be dependent entirely on bad days, on our own sometimes unruly affections and behaviors. And so for our comfort, we look at human inadequacy as our collect praise that in the midst of the swift and varied changes of our world, that our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. We pray that even in our human discomforts and limitations, our hearts might be inclined to remember that we have ever been guided and kept in life by a devoted creative power greater than we can even imagine. In the first reading, we hear as Ezekiel speaks to his people who are newly exiled in Babylon. They are in a situation that they fear will be the death of them all. And he reminds them of the one who created them, led them out of slavery in Egypt, and has faithfully promised to guide them again and again. Ezekiel describes his people as like dry bones no longer attached to one another or to anything that sustains life. Their hope in life itself seems lost. And he is instructed to tell them the words of their God, who says, I am going to open your graves and bring you out of your graves, O my people. And I, the one who led you out of slavery in Egypt, will bring you back to that land long promised again. All those dried out old bones will be regathered into one body, re-enlivened by the very breath of their God, a Holy Spirit that brings life to them. This is the God of life who, according to the book of Genesis, created them originally from the dust of the earth and intends to regather them. Their continuing commitment to partnership with this power will return them to life again and again and again. New life and recreation are certainly comforting to remember, 
when we are those whom we love find ourselves in difficulties that we fear just might be the death of us or surely the death of what we hold dear and necessary to our lives. So then the gospel today offers us what's been called the Lazarus event. First, we hear Martha insist the God who creates life itself can keep the people in life. She insists on the real presence of that life-giving power, even when she has not yet seen how abundant that life can be. Jesus, who Martha says she believes to be the God-sent Messiah, is after all not that warrior king that the Israelites expected to come give them control over all the other people in their earthly world. He is the one who is able to recreate life itself. He tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. He repeats the very words by which God identified God's self to Moses. In front of that bush that was filled with blazing light and yet was not consumed nor destroyed by it. Yet, we are told, Lazarus is truly dead. Rabbis at that time believed that the soul might hover near the body for three days. But it's been longer than that. And there is that unmistakable stench. And still, the weeping crowd is told they will see the glory of the living God. They weep, and Jesus weeps himself in compassionate love for his friends, and perhaps in a worry that if they cannot even see resuscitation, how will they be able to accept resurrection? Yet, for God's glory, he calls Lazarus back into their world and instructs the crowd to unbind him from the deathly ties that they have tied him into. In this way, they are to see for themselves a sign of the godly power to enliven humanity and to be more open to the joy of resurrection when it soon takes place. We are told this event in which they see new resurrected life are at least resuscitated life. This event causes many to believe. Just so our epistle told us, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It reminds us that the Lazarus event is resuscitation, not yet resurrection. Lazarus will die once more. Mortality is the human condition. Jesus' disciples will, they will tell us, 
see their master die. And there will be much, much more. There is a spirit which will knit them all together, re-enlivening, breathing new breath into them, sustaining life for them all. The church will be founded on it. And they are told their own mortal bodies will be filled and raised by the spirit which dwells in them. This knowledge will bring us all together in the service of life, in mortal partnership with one another, and with the God who wills resuscitation and resurrection. It brings us together, bonds us into one community to talk about the joy of that. Now, when I preach, I try to find some present-day earthly event in which I might see some way that something of this has occurred in my own life. And so I remembered one Sunday several years ago where, as a team, five of us on Summit's first aid squad got down on our knees on a green linoleum in a local kitchen floor and finding no discernible signs of life, began CPR on the body we found there. And I have to say that when you start that and some little time later, by the grace of God, you see with your own eyes and feel someone returned to life beneath your hands, then, no matter how small a role you feel you've had in facilitating it, it is a mind-blowing, heart-opening experience. It bonds the team together. There is such ineffable joy that those who've worked together can't leave one another for a while, can't carry the experience alone. Even worry, it's just too good to be true. And it took a while to truly believe what we saw. And strangely, we needed to gather around a table together to somehow celebrate what had happened and to sustain ourselves to dare to believe it. Now, I suspect that none of us cannot not continue to be involved in what we have seen with our own eyes will support life. And although resuscitation is, I am sure, a small event compared to true resurrection, once you do begin to talk about re-enlivening breath around dinner tables as a sign of something more than even the teenaged members of the first aid squad who've experienced the same thing themselves add such comments as, 
yeah, you know, I see this one man walking the streets of Summit. He doesn't recognize me, but I will never forget him. And you know you're all hooked for life. Now, there are many ways to live out this joy. Parents and teachers partner with the powers of new life all the time. Assess the situation, make it possible to deal with what's needed, acknowledge human needs, and become the advocates of the new creation of knowledge and skills which will open minds and souls to new life. We all may seek, as the gospel directs us to, to unwrap one another from frustrations and limitations, to unbind ourselves and find victory and assurance and a return to joy in the midst of what we were sure was defeat. We all know how proud we are of our children's accomplishments. We know what it feels like when we receive those meals and cards and kind words, when we ourselves have need of healing and return to life's joys. We're called today to recognize these actions are indeed a sign of a power greater than ourselves and a way to claim that life is more abundant than we yet have seen or may even be able to see. So, today, following the collect is one way to find out that when we give up believing that our life, our world, and our future depends entirely on our own efforts and abilities, on our own wills and affections, then this Lenten journey to claim our own limitations will make us able to embrace a joy of freely given, unearned guidance and belovedness. And it may also make each one of us more capable of working in partnership with the power of life in the service of more abundant life now and forever. Amen.